right, guys. I think I gotta go be productive today. <laughs> I got this job thing. I can't figure out how to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello from Pennsylvania. James Edward Gray. Hello from outside of Pennsylvania. I'm Charles Maxwood from teachmetocode.com, and we also have a special guest, and that's Rain Hendricks. Hello from Portland. Portland. Awesome. So what do you do in Portland? I work for Living Social. Oh, like everybody else? Like except, everybody else. Except <laughs> us? <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to introduce yourself really quick, and then we'll get into our uh, topic? Sure. Uh, my name is Rain Henricks. I am a Ruby developer. I'm a web developer. I'm a distributed systems builder. I'm somewhat of a security nut, um, mostly uh, because I got hacked a couple years ago, and that really sucked. And okay. so I've, I've been doing my best to make sure that doesn't happen to me or other people uh, ever since. So that's kind of cool. Can you tell us, like, uh, some circumstances about that? No. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Story time. Yay, story time. So I was uh, working at a company called PHP Fog, which is now App Fog, and we were building out a, a pass, sort of like Heroku for PHP. And we were in that early startup, let's just get something shipped out the door that people can use phase, and we weren't really taking security seriously at that time. And what you might expect happened, uh, which is that someone else took it more seriously than us and hacked us and made us look really, really bad. Uh, yeah, they, they got root access to some of our servers. They got access to our Twitter account. I mean, it was bad. And so I was actually uh, already scheduled to give a Ruby on Ales talks about how awesome our, uh, our pass was. And I thought maybe that talk wouldn't go over so well right after we got hacked. So then, <laughs> so then that talk became about how uh, shitty it is to get hacked and what you should do when it happens, based on some of the lessons that we learned. I was going to say, nice, but it's not so nice. <laughs> <laughs> also, I got really hung over that day, so I think that helped add to that air of sort of pitiful uh, humbleness that was appropriate. Huh, cool. So um, what what kind of mistakes do people usually make? I think, I think I can separate it out into three basic areas. There's preparing, uh, there's preparedness, and then there's responding to the actual incident when you get hacked, and then there's how you disclose that to your users and to the, to the public. And I think they're all important, and the way I look at it is the longer your site, the, the, uh, the longer your site stays on the internet, the longer it stays on the internet, the new it plays. As the site is available on the internet for longer, the probability that it will be hacked approaches one. So it's sort of a Godwin's law for hacking, because the internet is a scary, dangerous place, and you're putting your app out there into the wild, and it's a hostile environment where people are going to be trying to hack you, and that's just how it is. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So you you talk about preparedness and stuff, and you, and you you know you've already said that you know when when it happened to you, you feel like you guys weren't taking it seriously and right. stuff. And then I I know I've seen you say on Twitter, you know, security's job zero or you know mm -hmm. stuff like that, but. But, you know, at what point, seriously, you know, if, it, you know, if I'm trying to put something together and stuff, obviously I have a ton of concerns, you know, about just getting something out there and things like that. You know, at, at what point do I really start, you know, taking security seriously? Well, what I'd like to say, obviously, is right now, 
or yesterday, but in the real world, it's it's about risk management. It's about assessing risk and then figuring out what the potential costs of certain actions are or inactions. And I think one of the problems is that we tend to greatly underestimate the downside risks associated with security breaches. Uh, and it's not just um, there's it's not just immediate loss of revenue from from decreased sales or things like that. It's also potential legal liability. Um, if, if you're storing credit card data poorly or things like that. And it's also loss of goodwill and good faith in the community and your, with your users. There's lots of downside risks that I don't think people are, are adding to the equation when they try to decide how much emphasis they should place on security. And the worst thing of all is to just not have that conversation, to just not think about it, to just not take that you know hour, one day, you know, that one day while you're launching this product and go, what are we going to do about security? And, and coming up with a good plan. Mm-hmm. So how do you know you have a good plan as opposed to, uh, you know, maybe just being ignorant and saying, well, we'll just put SSL on there and that's good enough. Well, I feel like you need to start out by thinking like a hacker. Think, and I, I, I wish I could come up with a better term than hacker because that's become, it used to be the hackers were people that wrote code and now it's hackers are people that write code. And I think that's bad, but that's the, that's the language that people are using. So... If you, I think you start out by thinking like someone who's trying to attack your system. You look at, if I wanted to break this system, you sort of, you become a pen tester, right? If I wanted to penetrate this system, how would I go about doing it? And you analyze those risk areas, those those vulnerabilities, and you figure out a plan to start improving. Uh-huh. I thought that was uh, one of the cool things. Uh, Rain sent us a bunch of links and stuff to kind of look over uh, about security and stuff. There was a lot of neat stuff in there. We'll put some of the cool links in the show notes, but... Uh, one of them I thought was good, you know, was was just talking about how you know it, it it's really always always a process, and you're you know you're at whatever point you're at, but you you know if you're improving all the time, then security's getting better, right? Right. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite uh, one of my favorite sayings in the in the security world is is Drew Schneider's saying, which is that security is a practice, not a product. And what that means is you can't buy security off the rack. Uh, you can't go to a consultant and say, make me secure. What you can say is, I want a process for improving my security over time. I want to know how I can discover these vulnerabilities, how I can respond to them, and I want to know that today my site is more secure than it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you uh, did you guys see the Rails cast episode? It was either this week or last on sidejacking. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I saw it. I thought that was pretty interesting. I mean, it, it, it's... Uh, uh, you know, it was about how, you know, we take you to uh, HTTPS for uh, a login, and then when you're done logged in, we drop you back to a normal uh, connection. And by doing that, we make it easy to grab the cookie with, you know, uh, plain text. You know, it's transmitted in plain text, grab the cookie, and then we have your session, you know. Yeah, and, no. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just saying that, like, it seems like that's a, a mistake that, like, I've seen every website on the Internet do, you know? Like, it's incredibly common, you know? Yeah, and the list of vulnerabilities keeps growing every day, and, and, and attackers are getting more and more sophisticated in how they're approaching things. I mean, yep. think, what, what's the name? What's that? Um, there is a Firefox extension that you can install that will let you basically steal other people's sessions. Are you talking about FireSheep? Yeah, Fire yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? That's the thing where I can go in and log into your Facebook because you forgot to use HTTPS. Right, and I mean, you know, if you go to any place like a co-working facility or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, people could grab tons of stuff there unless you're going to do like SSH tunneling or something, right? So. Right, or you have a VPN, which I think is a pretty good idea for everyone that wants to connect securely to their private data. Right. Um, so 
we could spend literally probably five podcasts just talking about all of the things you should be doing. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't want to do that. What I do want to do is I want to impress on people how important it is to start asking yourself these questions. Like, how am I storing passwords? How am I SSHing into these boxes? Do I really need five different SSH, five different boxes all open to the world on SSH? Or can I have a bastion host in front of them? All of these questions are questions you should be asking yourself about your own systems and coming up with good answers. So is it safe to say that if you feel like you don't know like you know you you need security now but you you don't know exactly uh, you know what questions you should be asking that it's time to to bring in an expert just for a like a, a consultation to figure I, out like which which areas you should be looking at I feel like once you've done what you think is your due diligence and said I don't know what else to do I think that's a great time to have someone come in and audit your system and give you some more good ideas mm-hmm. but do your own due diligence first learn as much as you can there are a lot of good resources out there just it's like any you know broad and deep subject is going to take a while to become an expert in it. Right. So so uh, did you want to get into some of the best practices on some of these things, like how am I storing passwords or you know how to manage SSHing into your machines? Or... So we can talk about bcrypt and scrypt and we can talk about bastion hosts. We talk about a lot of the, the tactics of security, but I'm really more interested on a strategic level. I think most good developers and good CEOs, if they set a priority for security, can go find these things out for themselves. So I don't want to talk about the tactics as much as Given LinkedIn and eHarmony and LastFM and League of Legends and Sony 20 times, I get this feeling that... Sony 20 times, I love that. so hilarious. As a PS3 user, I'm both laughing and crying inside. 20 20 times. 20 times. Uh, I I get the feeling that we keep talking about security and then people keep not doing security. And so I really just want to keep hammering in how important it is to actually go look at your site right now and say, is it secure? Someone Mm -hmm. could be hacking your site right now. How many of you have upgraded your Rails uh, to 325 or whatever it is to prevent the the recently disclosed SQL injection attack? Right. That's That's a good question. Let me ask you kind of a strategy question along those lines. You're talking about Rails and it grows and improves over time. Yehuda has said at one point in the past that like even if he's developing an API, he would rather use Rails than anything else, like say Sinatra, which is maybe common for that. Um, because Rails because he knows all the things of, that Rails does for you mm-hmm. and that they have like they do have a place where people submit security issues and they do look at those and they do check into those. Do you think that the framework you choose is part of like that strategy and and what you do? Like, is it is it irresponsible security wise to choose Sinatra, which probably leaves the details to you or not? Oh, you totally set him up. I want to hear this. If you don't have the resources to bet it yourself, I think go with something that someone else can bet for you, and that means probably Rails because a lot of people have done a lot of work to make Rails secure and the list of security vulnerabilities that are known for Rails is actually a lot smaller than most similarly popular frameworks. How many of you actually looked at the security vulnerabilities list um, before I sent it to you? I didn't look at it before you sent it to me, but I did look at it from your list. Were you aware that that was a thing? Yeah, actually, I knew about it because uh, uh, because of Yehuda's talks. He had, mm-hmm. he had mentioned that they do have that and that they always have someone look through them and stuff. Yeah, so right now the total number of vulnerabilities is 25. And if I switch to something like uh, WordPress, which I should be able to do, holy crap, there are a lot of things in there are a lot of lists. 
<laughs> so when I've looked at other things like Django and WordPress, I've found that on the whole, Rails tends to have fewer vulnerabilities uh, than most of these frameworks. But with Synapher, what you're getting is something with a lot of unknowns, which means you have to do more due diligence uh, to feel comfortable shipping that product, I think. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I, I think Sinatra, like, security is not really very much in the scope of what Sinatra does. Right. Like it, they, do, it, it doesn't do authentication. It doesn't do database out of the box. So all of those things, if, if there's an SQL injection and vulnerability in Sinatra, it's because you added it. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. That, I think they, they consider that your domain. Right. Which kind of sucks, though, because it's a really hard domain. And putting that on to developers who really just want to ship something like you're talking about, um, it's not passing the buck because it genuinely isn't their responsibility, but it does make for a lot of extra work for developers who care about security when they want to deploy onto something like Synapse. So to bring this um, like a little bit more concrete, is can you think of an example of something that, that, Rail, that you might not think of that Rails is handling for you security-wise that something like Sinatra is, is leaving up to you? Well, I bet a lot of us get pissed off by the CSRF tokens that get embedded into their forms and then make AJAX network. Right. But those actually prevent one of the more common uh, exploits and vulnerabilities in most websites. And they, it mm-hmm. does it magically for free for you and only sometimes gets in the way. Yeah, and, and Rails is kind of the, in a unique position to do that, right? Because... Um, it, it, it's only kind of because it's a full solution. Right, they control so much of the stack. Right, mm-hmm. that it's practical for them to actually have that feature because they have to put something in the header of your pages and then uh, they need you to go through the form helpers so that they can modify your form along the way, you know, things like that. Um, Yehuda's also talked about that particular uh, exploit and said that he's surprised when he goes to other communities and looks around for that particular solution that he's all, you know, I usually find some snippet of code you're supposed to, supposed to paste in and it's right about half of the time, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, I generally, I would generally not trust random snippets of code on the internet to protect me from, <laughs> from serious security vulnerabilities. What? What? Say it isn't so. <laughs> So, so I'm a little curious. I mean, what areas should you be considering if you're trying to audit your site for security? Um, I mean, obviously there are things that you can do in your code, but are are there other areas that that people generally miss, or are there areas that you need to make sure you thoroughly cover? So the general way that you go about this is that you make a list of all of the inputs into your system. That can be SSH, that can be your URL bar, that can be all of your APIs, anything where someone can get data into your system somehow. Those are all those are all vectors for attack. And you have to catalog them and you have to decide what are the potential vulnerabilities for each and how are we mitigating. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. And the larger your system is, the more moving pieces it has, the more exposed it is to the internet, the more work it is. But again, if you leave if you leave one of those vulnerabilities unchecked and you forget to to mitigate it, and someone breaks in there, your entire system could be compromised. Um, hmm. Sometimes it's just the one weak link in the chain, uh, which brings me to containment, which is very important. Containment is the idea that when you do get a breach, because I really do feel like for most sites on the internet, it's just a matter of time or attention, uh, because most sites on the internet are probably insecure. What happened to LinkedIn could probably be happening to almost every site on the internet right now, mm-hmm. uh, in some fashion, if someone tried hard enough. Right. So, so why are that, you why are you picking on websites if they're so insecure? <laughs> I just don't know if they can take that. Uh, because it's fun? No. <laughs> no. Be- because someone needs to. 
There you go. Right. <laughs> Playground bully, so, huh? So, yeah, I saw you talking about containment after the LinkedIn incident. And I, one of the things you said that really resonated with me was, um, you know, they've identified that they have this problem and they're trying to work it all out and their site is still up. Right. <laughs> and and so, that was an obvious mistake because they know they have a problem. Yeah, so this gets into incident response and also the way they disclose. Um, one really bad thing they did is that they kept the compromise system running. And that's really bad because they don't know the extent of the compromise during the compromise. They could have just gotten the database, but what if they got more? What if they're rooting your system? What if they're on that system as some non-privileged user trying to escalate privilege and root your system as we speak? Well, the other problem that I see there is that if you go out and you say, look, we have a vulnerability, even if you don't give the specifics, you you basically are telling people that the system's still up, you can come and find a way in. Right. And you're also telling all of the users of that system whose passwords may have been stolen. Yeah, you can reset your password, but then the hacker could just take it again. So good luck with that. Yeah. That's why I like to keep all, keep all my sites on a on a box that sits on my desk because if I can, if I think that somebody's compromised turn. it, I just pull the I just you pull can the just, network You can just go out. turn it off, yeah. yeah. So that 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 but so the first step in incident response is like you're saying take any affected systems down pull the plug up and one thing that's really nice when you're designing those systems to have, is to have that big red button that's something I talk about with building distributed systems is have a big red button that you can push that turns that system on. there are lots of good reasons that you could need that button maybe you're actually just trying to test the reliability of your system to, to partition tolerance maybe you're trying to maybe you just need some you know fallback solution for DDoS attacks maybe that system got hacked and you need to shut it down quick because the longer that system is up the more likely that they can jump off from that system to another system mm -hmm. and and the, the next the next thing there is if if you're wondering is the system affected and you don't know the answer the answer is yes you always have to assume the worst case scenario not the best case scenario which is something linkedin did really poorly in their disclosure because what they did is they said we have discovered the users who are at most risk and we are going to reset their passwords mm -hmm. well, what metric could they possibly use for that <laughs> and well, how do they how do they know which users they didn't read as far as i know there are some passwords that they never reset because i never got an email from linkedin mm -hmm. so they must think that my password was never compromised but what yeah, information are they basing this on the hacker posted the list of pass of, of shots it is is it really that inconceivable that the hacker might have not posted half of his list <laughs> can, they can they possibly know that? They, they might not possibly. have been utterly straightforward. What? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, uh, we, we know that he didn't hack Avdi, so that's all that really matters. What a crazy topsy-turvy world do we live in where, where system crackers don't just com come completely clean. So if you look at... <laughs> If you look at what LastFM and what League of Legends did, they actually did the right thing, which is they said, our passwords have been compromised. We don't know the extent. So we're going to reset everyone's password. And we know this is inconvenience, but we think that it's better than the alternative. Right. That's the, that's the right thing. That's the right thing to do when you have, a, when, you, when your database is compromised and people have, and someone has your shots. You assume that they're all at risk, because they are. My gosh, there was a, there was a post I saw from the using the LinkedIn shots, they figured out just some some common passwords. And I mean, mm -hmm. I saw the list of like the top thirty. You know, it's like yeah, oh my gosh, like one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, they're like that. so bad. <laughs> but you, as a as, yeah, that's a, the password as someone, of my luggage. As someone building a site, you can't depend on your users to not be stupid. You don't have control over that. 
you have to protect them sometimes from themselves. Right, right. If someone wants to choose the password 12345, yeah, you can try to make that an invalid password, or you could just use a password hashing system that won't be broken in two hours when someone buys a quad GPU Amazon box and throws <laughs> them up there on it. Oh jeez, that's so. And awesome. you can you can do that. You can use bcrypt, which is computationally hard, which means that you can dial in how much computation it takes to generate a SHA. So the thing about most cryptographic caches like uh, MD5 and, and SHA is that they're designed to be really, really fast, mm -hmm. which is great if you want to hash something, but not great if you want to hash something in such a way that it can't later be brute force. Right. Because that really, really, really fastness is now a liability. So things like bcrypt, they're computationally hard. They let you dial in something that says, rather than taking you know 10 milliseconds, let's make it take a second. Mm -hmm. Right. Which at the point where you're generating that SHA is usually okay, and maybe not a full second, but even even you know 10 or 100 times faster or slower is better. And then there are things like S-Crypt, which are memory hard, which means that they take a lot of memory to generate the hash. So a, a hash, so 128-byte uh, bit hash may take 200 megs of memory to generate. And both of those things make brute forcing basically impossible with with the I think with the maximum um, computational hardness in bcrypt it takes on average until the heat death of the universe to brute force a password plenty of time so, <laughs> you just so need I, a better I, machine I like to spin up a bunch of universes inside my my personal black hole it's, it's, it's right. nice it's nice that you can do that right the cloud universe service um, so let's ask a question about that, though. So, like, you know, preventing things from being brute force is great and all, but, but like, seriously, in that example of LinkedIn hatch passwords, I mean, in the top 30, there were so many that would fall to a dictionary attack mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. I was so shocked at how extremely, yeah, extremely bad they were. Should we... Was... Concern with like user education as well, since that's also it's, we could try, but it won't happen. Yeah, we. Exactly. I mean, we, we have to accept the situation on the ground, which is that users are always going to be generating shitty passwords. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I like that more and more sites have the little like password strength meter now. Yeah. Right. Any, anything we can do to educate users to generate better passwords or to use one password or last pass or things like that is great. But we can't expect that to happen. We can't. So expect many systems. That. So many systems. I think got users into bad habits over the years. Like particularly the the ones that that force you. Now you don't usually find this on on the open web, but but like um uh in like in-house systems you know internet systems you would have this the ones that force you to change your password every mm -hmm. every few months and that's terrible because all it's doing is it's saying saying use the dumbest password you know well, password algorithm that you can think of it's theoretically great right it's theoretically great because it means that those passwords are constantly being reused and it, it prevents the, the human factor of what if you accidentally share your password like that what yeah it also forgets about though is the human factor of how people will respond to this new restriction Increment by one. <laughs> yep. And then if you disallow yeah. it, then it's increment by one and add a character. And stick yeah. the, the and stick the, the new one to your to your monitor. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly, because that's secure. So so I always take I always take the approach that you have to be secure enough that your least secure user will be safe. So that mm -hmm. guy whose password is fast, right? You want to yeah. try to make them safe. And yes, he didn't just make that up. That was one of the top thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Wait, but you hear it? that you, password. The password is password. You hear that and you go, no one does that. 
People do that. A lot yeah, of people do. do that. Did it trip they them do. up then that they had a username field that they couldn't fill in with username because it was already taken? <laughs> Where's the any key? <laughs> I think that's I think that's to the left of the escape key. <laughs> so then, so when you have this incident, you get hacked. Uh, you know, you, Happy you have fun to times. It, right. You have, you have preparedness. You've talked about containment and stuff like that. Then mm-hmm. you know what's the what's the end game? You've solved it. You've taken care of it. What are your responsibilities to your users? At so let, let me let me step back to response for just a second and give you the list of the things you're supposed to do. It's a short list. Okay. Uh, take the affected systems offline, but don't destroy them yet. Keep them available for forensic analysis. After you figure out how you got hacked and you created and tested a fix, rebuild any of the affected systems from scratch, nuke the, and then nuke the old ones from space. You don't want any of that old code infecting your new systems because if those systems are compromised, you don't know what could still be on those systems. There could be backdoors, there could be Trojans, there could be all kinds of things that could make your system... Your, a system once compromised is always compromised, is how, I, is how I look at it. And if you think you're smart enough to fix that system in place and just and just leave it standing, then you're too stupid to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so, let, so let me get this straight, just to make sure you know I understand it. Let's put that in practical terms. So if I'm running some site up on EC2 and, and I get hacked and realize it's mm-hmm. compromised, then I, I take it offline, you know, at least to the public, you know, and I start poking around in it and see what happened and figure that out. And then uh, at that point, I, I get my fix and all that. What you're saying is, really, I need to take that server all the way down, just shut right. it down, bring up another just, one. Disconnect it, at the very least, disconnect it from the internet and from all of your other systems. Isolate it, put it in a, in a little glass cage, make sure it can't talk to anything. Right. No talking. And then, and then when I have it figured out, I need to bring up like a new instance and redeploy my app on Right, that. exactly. And that's a good reason to have you know configuration management in place. So you're using Puppet for this, or you're using uh, Chef for this, or something like that. When when PHP Fog got hacked, we brought down 2,000 servers in about 15 minutes, and then brought them all back up over the course of 24 hours. Wow. Uh, not wow. because that was the easy thing to do, but because it was the right thing to do to protect all of our users. Mm-hmm. So one other thing that I'm wondering about is so let's say you get hacked um what's the right way to tell your users um by the way your credit card might have been taken yeah i'm, I'm glad that we're talking about disclosure oh this we is, are talking about sony again <laughs> this is this is the thing that that, that in it so i think this is the thing that is most damaging when you get it wrong because this is the actual public face of the incident. This is what people are responding to. And aside from potential liability issues um, with password storage and identity storage and things like that, that in my experience largely never materialize, the loss of reputation and trust with your users can be a big problem. So you want to make sure that you disclose properly so that you don't come across looking like a complete inept and idiot and then no one ever trusts you again. So the first step is disclose as soon as you know that you were hacked. And you're going to have to disclose because those system is already down and people are wondering why the site's off. So you don't really have a choice. You have to tell them something because chances are you've already affected quality of service in some way that requires Mm -hmm. some sort of disclosure anyway. The internet broke. It's not our fault. Right. So, but the thing about disclosure is inevitably the information comes to light of how stupid you really were, right? (laughs) So start there. Don't try to hide things. It'll just look bad for you later when they're revealed by someone else. And also recognize that when this happens to you as 
a founder, as you know, a lead engineer, as an ops guy who has a lot of you know ego invested in that product and in, in, in it not being hacked and not looking bad, you're going to be hurt and you're going to be angry and you're going to be in a really bad state of mind to talk to users right now. Mm -hmm. But that's too bad because you still have to do it. So you you have to try to fight that sort of in instinctual fight or flight response is going to make you avoid the situation or lash out at people. And you have to push that down, step aside, step outside of yourself and, and try to craft a rational message for your users. And if you're having trouble, talk to someone you trust, have them look at what you're saying, analyze it for tone and for the, the, you know, how you're putting yourself out there in front of people and make sure you're saying what you want to say, how you want to say it. I think the human, the human factor here is really important and it's something that's often overlooked. Yeah. I guess like I mean hopefully you've you've always been you've always been seeing yourself as as on the side of your users, you know, and as an advocate for your users and so you know, I guess the the trick is to continue to see yourself as being, you know, first and foremost right. an advocate for the people that that use your system, as opposed to, um, you know, sort of on the other side. Right, and I think it's important to remember here that when you get hacked, you're actually not the victim. Mm -hmm. the, your users are the victims, and they're the ones that you need to hack. That's a good point. Yeah. So, and I've also noticed, like, uh, for me, just reading disclosure reports that like it seems like the more well done the disclosure report is the more the more you know detailed and showing exactly how we went wrong the more i'm like wow i'm really glad they wrote this that was nice and mm -hmm. now i understand what happened and you know uh, one of the great ones i remember was um amazon a while back had one of their really big outages where they screwed up how they write their route their network traffic and yeah i remember that because it took us down for a weekend right and it was really bad right <laughs> but the write-up on that was fantastic yeah you got the sense that they didn't realize that that was a potential problem but now they're more aware of that problem than anyone else in the universe mm -hmm. because they've taken right. the time to really analyze the hell out of it and you, you trust them more now than you did before yeah it was also um uh you know i felt like they said um like they helped you be aware that something like this could go wrong you know i mean Basically, they broke routing, and that ended mm -hmm. up taking down a massive portion of the internet. You know, and yeah, it was sad. It's because everybody uses Amazon, right? In in a lot of ways, I mean, you'd be surprised at like how many things were affected by it. Like, mm -hmm. um, like people uh, uploading to S three, uploading images to S three, those would start failing. Then, because of the way certain extensions handled those failures. They would, you know, uh, get exceptions, and then we have like email us when an exception occurs. But because that started happening at such a massive volume due to all the outages, you know, then that caused other problems. I mean, it was a really trickle down effect. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, um, do you guys know where we can find that write up so people can go and look at it? Uh, I'll look for it a little. It was on that blog, I think, after uh, after the whole. Yeah, it was there. U.S. West availability zone, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, there are EBS volumes. There was a cascading failure in routing, like like, uh, like you were saying. And essentially, they started trying to route data to new boxes, but their balancing algorithms were such that those boxes then became flooded, and then they went down, and then it just cascaded from there. Right. So one 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 thing that just occurred to me that I'm wondering about, and I'm I'm going to change the topic a little bit here is. Um, you mentioned that you should be protecting your users from themselves in the sense that, you know, let's say they're using a stupid password, um, mm -hmm. you know, it should still be hard for somebody to hack them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how, how do you protect them against somebody just guessing their password? You don't. Yeah, I don't, you can't. <laughs> but but you, you use you, something like Bcrypt or something that, that makes it right. so that they can't brute force the, it by guessing all the common the, the thing The thing about that, though, is that brute forcing is a numbers game. Yes. Where if you have a, a list of 6 million passwords probably some of them are going to be low enough entropy that you can crack. If you're trying to guess one individual's password, that's going to take a long time because you not you have no a priori way of knowing if their password is weak or not. Right. So you would need to do enough human engineering to figure out if they have a weak password in the first place for that to even make sense. Mm-hmm. It's just not as it's not as viable a threat because it's much, it requires on too many unknowns to the attacker and it's right. it's just sort of a bad it's a bad uh, use of their time. Yeah, but um, sometimes, I mean, like, wasn't Twitter hacked a while back with, I think it was a fairly simple dictionary-like attack where mm-hmm. they ended up getting an admin account with a very weak password. I think it was Happy or something. You yeah, know? I mean, if you do stupid things like let let your users log in a million times without either restricting their access or throttling that request, right. they, they might figure that out and go, oh, well, I can just hack their login you know, API. That's way easier than trying to get their database. Right. But, mm-hmm. but usually, you know, a lot of systems, either it takes, the request itself takes long enough or there's some sort of um, exponential you know, decay in response time where if you're trying to log in for the hundredth time, it takes 10 seconds or something, mm-hmm. or they just cut you off after five. You know, there are things like that that can make that untenable. Yeah, I like the um, I like the the time based ones. The cutoffs occasionally annoy me. Like yeah. you know the the small cutoffs, and I think there's really no point. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's really no point to have like a, a small cutoff like three or five or something no, like that. No, there really I mean, isn't. I mean, unless somebody is has a really, really, really good idea of approximately what your password is and only needs a few tries, generally, you know, if they're brute forcing it, they're going to be doing thousands of tries, millions of tries. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's so frustrating when, you know, when you're having, you know, you're, you're just having a brain fart and, you know, mm-hmm. using the wrong email I mean, address or something dumb like that and it locks you out after five tries. Mm-hmm. Even, even, you know, what? The, the weakest of passwords, uh, a, a six-digit alphanumeric password, is going to take, on average, more than five tries for someone to guess it. Right. Yeah. Some sites are pretty serious about that. I used my uh, card in a, a site the other day, a credit card, and um, uh, I have no idea why. I guess because it was some weird vendor or something. That it was one of those instances where the bank flagged it as possible fraud, you know, and and didn't send it through. And so I called them and and talked to them. And they're like, okay, we'll we'll you know open it up or whatever. And then I went back to the site and they were like, you cannot use that card here again for 24 hours or something. I was like, Jeez. dang, that's aggressive, you know. Because I mean, I'm not necessarily against it, but still, it was it was kind of aggressive. Mm. Little sneak thief. We we know we know all about your little yeah. tricks, James. Yeah, I was generating credit card numbers with a Ruby script, and you know. <laughs> so I have another question. Um, so generally, when when these sites get hacked, and uh, let's say that they steal a list of passwords, are they usually getting into the server itself and then attaching to the database and doing the queries, or do they trick the website into doing it through SQL injection or something similar? So that the former is the worst case scenario where they've actually compromised the either the database server or the app server. It's actually it's usually worse if they compromise the app server because then they can actually get access to your code and see what you're doing to uh, to generate your password hashes, and that can give them much more information about how to go about brute forcing them. Sometimes it's just SQL injection that gets them some sort of dump. 
Ideally, they're not actually on your box, because then if they're actually on your box, while they're dumping the database, they could be trying to privilege escalate and, and root you and do other nasty things, which is yet another good reason to shut those systems down. Right, because ultimately you may not know how they got the information. Did I mention that you should shut the systems down <laughs> and, 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 not, and not just keep them running? Wait, so we have to turn it off? Because I think that's important to stress. <laughs> what do you think about frameworks like Metasploit? I think they're, they're awesome. I think they're great for pen testers. Uh, I think they're less great for malicious users. Uh, but it's sort of a free—it's sort of a free speech thing, right? We can't—we can't control who gets access to that code. But it's great because it shows you how truly vulnerable a lot of systems are. Yeah, I mean, I've—I've I've like been at the talk, you know, where they—they uh, they show Metasploit and they like root a box. I'm going was... to root. I'm going to root your Wi-Fi now. Yeah, it's like a couple <laughs> of seconds, you know, and it's like, okay, that's depressing. Oh, you're running Windows NT Service Pack. Too. I have a thing for that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's interesting. But it is good that it helps us find, you know, find problems, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, I mean, have an, a pen tester armed with things like Metasploit is your best friend. Mm -hmm. uh, right. They're going to tell you all the things that you never knew about that are vulnerabilities in your system. Someone malicious armed with Metasploit is your worst enemy. Do you have uh, any other resources um, that are useful for learning to think like a, uh, I'm sorry, I have to say cracker. I've just. That's, cracker. That's <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, I believe that I have. Can't bring myself to call them hackers. Fair enough. Um, Although, I, I mean, you may, you may well be both. I mean. What you talking you about, cracker? You hacker and you use that. <laughs> You use yeah. that. He that, doesn't that, racist. Uh, yeah, he doesn't but... mean the racial slur. <laughs> no, no, it's just. <laughs> so um... I've got. Uh, I let's see. I'm trying to find because there's some good books on this. I'm trying to find the one that I've seen. Yeah, there's there's even a book um, I think pretty recently focused on uh, web application security in general. Isn't that right? I mean, I'm sure there's probably multiple. But... So there's some great books on pen testing, like profession, professional pen. Uh, professional penetration testing, and then there are. Let's see, I know I saw this. Promise. You. Huh. So no, I don't have any resources for you right now, uh, but I will look around. And we'll put them in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Black hat. That's a good term. Yes. Yes, black hat is a good term. And the thing about putting your app out there in the wild, and I keep saying that it's a hostile environment, and I I, I, I want to stress that you can't control how people access your, your site. You can't. You can. You can request that if someone compromises your site that they themselves follow a proper disclosure policy, but you can't you can't force them to put their white hat on when they get out of bed, mm -hmm. right? Some people are just going to wake up, put that black hat on, and go try to break things, and yep. you can't control that, and you're not entitled to, as much as you'd like to think that you are, and as much as it may be actionable if someone doesn't follow disclosure, people break the law all the time. You can't control that, and you're not entitled to someone disclosing your vulnerability problem. So yeah. I see a lot of these, I see a lot of disclosure, you know, after action reports that really take on this sort of victim mentality, like how could they do this to us? Or they should have disclosed properly and it's their fault. No, it's it's still your fault. It's still ultimately your fault. And that hacker, if it wasn't that one person, would have been a different person. It has, it, the hacker is never, in, in my mind, the, the cause of the hack. I mean, they're the proximate cause, yes, but the real cause is that your site was shitty and, and vulnerable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, one disclosure that comes to mind is uh, somebody giving themselves fit uh, the commit bit on a 
fairly yeah, popular GitHub. web framework on a website that hosts the so, code. So, so GitHub did an interesting thing with that, which is that they started out with their gut sort of fight or flight reaction, which was to ban him and call him out on his poor disclosure practices and all that stuff, right? And there was some... To be clear, though, on the incident, maybe we should say what, what his intention actually was. So what he did is he found a vulnerability in GitHub's handling of of uh, public keys that allowed him to inject his key into any project. He used that key to create a commit saying, look, I can commit into your project. That was basically all he did. And then GitHub uh, put the ban hammer down on him and tried to call him out on his black hat ways when honestly he could have done a lot worse. He could have wrecked a lot. He could have made a lot of people very unhappy. And all he did was what's essentially a novelty commit into a site just as a proof of concept to say, look, yeah, I really did hack your, your, your public keys. And then their later more reasoned response was the one that people actually looked at and went, yeah, that's a nice way to handle that, where they reinstated his account and they determined that he didn't act maliciously and all these things. And that, if that was their first response, it would have been perfect. But they went through a couple rounds of listening to that emotional reaction and going with it that they shouldn't have done. I confess I was I was sort of, um, I mean, I could totally understand where they were coming from. Just oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the tone. Yeah, you, you are, re- you get, I, I know I've been hacked. You are so pissed. Well, uh, yeah, so and, it's, and, and, and just like the, yeah, I mean, the way that was handled, I mean, yes, the the person could have done much worse, but they also could have been a lot more, I mean, I don't know. It was, it was very, um, it was kind of snotty, you know, it was like, you know, you know, how can you allow this horrible, this horrible, you know, vulnerability? That yeah, he acted kind of like, he did act kind of like a dick, but again, mm-hmm. yeah. GitHub can't control him. Even, even yeah. though... Even GitHub's action, though, may not be all that unreasonable. Like, if you know a user has figured out how to compromise the system, then banning him as the first action may be reasonable. It's, but, it's the same yeah. thing as taking yeah, I, the system offline. I agree with you there, but it wasn't just the ban. It was the context in which right, the ban happened, which right. was a dialogue with GitHub where they frankly came across like children who had had their, their sandcastle picked. Right. They, they could have right. come out and said, look, we shut down his account. It's precautionary. Once we determine... We shut down his account to prevent, you know... Yeah. You know, as a precautionary measure, yeah, while we're investigating and then mm-hmm. we'll determine what to do with his account. What they right. essentially Never did is, nope, we're taking, your, we're taking your toys away. Never right. underestimate the ability of childish behavior to bring out childish behavior in yeah. others. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, I thought it was a little bit funny, too, because you can set up a GitHub account in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what's... And, and honestly, if he had really wanted to do some damage, he could have done some damage. Yeah. And it would have been before they abandoned it. Right. I thought they did a good job in the end, though. Their 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 later write-ups were really good, and mm-hmm. um, and they talked about how they're changing their security policies yeah. because of this, so... I felt like they learned something. You know? Yeah, the, the point that they eventually got to there with how they disclosed was, I think, really good. They set a great tone. They really came across as recognizing, you know, the magnitude of what had happened and, and realizing they needed to come up with some policies and telling people enough information that they could start regaining some of that trust. Mm-hmm. I think they did a good job, and I just wish that they had snipped out a lot of the stuff that came in between where they mm-hmm. sort of spoke what they felt you know in the moment which turned out to not be all that all that great of an idea right all right well we're about to where we need to do the picks so is there anything else we need to go over within the next few minutes so i have i have two more things to say about disclosure okay one is one is that 
if you've been hacked and you're disclosing this incident, don't try to sell me something. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't try to don't try to promote your product at this point. No, is, is, not that called, is that called the GoDaddy disclosure? Yeah, and, and LinkedIn sort of did this too. I mean, a lot of companies seem to do this. It's just not it's not the right time. And we just got hacked. We wanted to tell you about the details and if you would like some Viagra pills. Yeah, and <laughs> And the second one is, if you've just gotten hacked and you're disclosing how you just got hacked, now is not the, try, the right time to try to set yourself up as an expert in security. <laughs> don't, don't be telling your users how we started hashing and salting your passwords because we know all these things about security now. And hey, you should probably go change your password. And we recommend a strong password for security. Shut up about security. You're the one that you're, you're the one that put us in this position in the first place. Be humble, accept your responsibility, and and. Don't you know? Don't try to use this as a marketing stuff. Right. It's like uh, Sony, man. When they get hacked, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, every other way. When they get hacked, they, you know, they say, "Yeah, oh, we're bringing in this huge security expert." Blah blah blah. You know, and then you find them in the news again next week, and it's like, okay, well, that helped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should have brought in the security expert before this happened. Yeah. But You'd think Sony could afford it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've been hit by a car five times now, and I'm re—I've really figured out how to avoid being hit by cars. <laughs> right. So the next well, time we're walking in the middle of the highway, I know how not to get hit. So that actually reminds me of something that I think is really important as well, which is that these security incidents—they're not the fault of the engineers. They're not the fault of the engineers at LinkedIn or at any of these places. They're the fault of management, probably all the way up to the executive level. Because security failures, I think, are a priority issue. They're ultimately about not setting the right priorities for your organization and making security one of them. Absolutely. And engineers just follow your lead. No one wants to build a site as an engineer. No one wants to build a site that's vulnerable and watch it get hacked. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we bend to pressures to maybe not worry about security right now because we've got to shift this feature. And those are management fields. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, an easy trap to fall into, though. It's, it's it, like the... Um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, it's not an excuse, but it is an easy trap to fall into. Yeah, it is, but I don't want I don't want people to think that I'm blaming the LinkedIn engineers for this or right. the Harmony engineers because they're probably, you know, they're good people doing their best to get their jobs done as professionals. This is always a management failure. It's always you know, someone at the top, not me priority. You know, one of those uh, links you gave us uh, had a neat thing in it where it did talk about the eHarmony um, uh, cracking and they got a bunch of passwords and the article was complaining that what eHarmony did so badly there is it didn't go back to the people and say, hey, don't forget, we changed your password on our site, but you should go do it on any other site where you use that password. You know? I thought that was an important uh, tip too that, you know, you may not just be talking about your vulnerabilities, you know, it, right. it's, it's actually the internet as a whole. <laughs> so you're, when you get hacked, your job, your, your primary job when you're disclosing is to protect your users and to give them the information they need to protect themselves. And you're not just thinking about yourself. That comes from a, here's what happened at eHarmony, and here's what we're going to do about our thing that happened to us. It's about putting yourself in the position of your users, thinking, what have I just exposed them to? What, How are they now vulnerable in a way that they weren't before? And what do I need to tell them to help mitigate that? And that does include, if you share your eHarmony password on other sites, those passwords need to be changed as well. That's just the responsible thing to do. That's thinking about your users first. 
So, so was somebody trying to just crash somebody's blind dates, or I kind of missed the point in hacking eHarmony. Sometimes it's just because it's there. Oh. Yeah, just love love getting into the systems. And Some people just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> That's right. I was yeah. waiting. I was waiting all episode to, to throw that one out there. Yeah, Avdi, you were trying to say something before. Oh, I was just saying, like, uh, well, Rain was saying it's 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 really the fault of management. It reminded me of 